Hey, welcome back to the Bad Movie Journalists, where we celebrate the wonder of mediocre art. I'm Christian, certified disappointing son of a millionaire. And I'm Connor, certified Green Bee. Well, today we're talking about the movie Green Hornet, the 2011 film. A film that's kind of boring, ultimately. Well, Connor, everybody tell us a little bit about this movie. Yeah, so the Green Hornet, like you noted, came out in 2011. It's classified as an American vigilante action comedy film. I love when movies add like seven adjectives to describe themselves. Um, It was directed by Mikkel Michael. Do you know how to pronounce that? Is it Michael or is it Mikkel? It's Michelle. Michelle. I apologize to Mr. Gondry, but Michelle Gondry. It was produced by Columbia Studios. Um, Seth Rogen co-wrote the screenplay with Evan Goldberg. He stars in the title role as aforementioned Green Hornet, alongside Jay Chow, who plays Cato, and then Christoph Waltz, Cameron Diaz, David Harbour, Edwin James Almost, and Tom Wilkinson act in the main supporting roles. This cast, man, is loaded. It is a stellar cast. We'll get into it later, obviously, but this is definitely one of the highlights of this movie for me, is that it felt like every few minutes, another face popped up that I thought, oh my god, this person's in that movie too? Also, should be noted, Michelle Gondry also directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is famously an absolutely incredible film. It's fun to watch that movie and then watch this movie and wonder how the same person made it. But um, in terms of performance, this movie made a fair amount of money. It came out in January along Martin Luther King Day holiday weekend, so it was a four-day weekend. Um, took home $33.5 million on its opening weekend and $40 million over the whole holiday. Um, grossed about $227.8 million in a total gate. Um, alongside a $120 million budget, so easily made its money back. Um, and in fact, the week that it came out, it topped the Black Swan, Tangled, and the King speech um, at the top of the charts. It was the number one movie it came out. I did want to add all those movies had been out for over 45 days, but still, to top those three movies the first weekend for it to be what it was was a little shocking. That is really, really crazy. Did you see the movie before seeing this or was this your first time watching it this was my first time watching it so i had actually meant to see it when i was younger i actually was really looking forward to this movie and then i had heard bad things when it came out and 20 year old me just decided it was better not to see it and be disappointed i guess um so no this was my first time ever seeing it gotcha yeah i I had seen it in the theaters years ago when it came out if it was 2011 that means that i was either in my senior year of high school, or I had just graduated. Regardless, I remember being pretty underwhelmed. Yeah. But how about you tell about the uh, reception to this movie? Yeah, so it's it's not great, but it is better than I thought it would be. So Rotten Tomatoes has it as a 44% on 233 reviews and a 43% audience score. One of the rare times we do these movies and the audience and the critics overwhelmingly agreed with each other. And then on Metacritic, it has a 39 out of 100 on 39 reviews. The general feeling about it coming from critics was that it's entertaining, but never really reaches the sort of like surreal heights that you could expect coming from a Gondry Seth Rogen collaboration. Um, and we have some reviews here that I thought were, were kind of interesting if you want to read one of those to us. Sure. Andrew O'Hare from Whiting Salon, he said, I'm pleased to report that the movie is entirely watchable and often pretty fun. In a mishmashed, patchy kind of way. Put that on your posters, Columbia Pictures. 
I love when people leave like a positive comment and then add like a little snarky response at the end. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone also wrote the big screen Green Hornet while hardly classic comic book filmmaking ain't half bad. A real endorsement right there. Oh, that's just wonderful. Peter Rayner for Christian Science Monitor. I'm not sure what publication that is, but apparently it is one. He said, here's a 3D movie that should have been shot in 0D. Burn. Ooh, man. Re- really stuck it to them there. Got him, Peter. You got him. Great job, buddy. What is the Christian science? <laughs> I read that review and was like, why are we letting the Christian science review review movies? Or the Christian science monitor review movies? It doesn't seem like their publication's uh, main purpose. But that is neither here nor there. That is for our other podcast, Religious Daily, where we go over a different religion every day, all 365 days of the year. Christian, what did you think of this movie? So actually, something you had said in the beginning of us recording had a little bit of an effect in what I thought about this overall. My initial impression of this movie is that it is long and it is slow. I overall liked it, but it is a little safe in terms of not really going for anything super crazy, which is surprising given uh, Michelle Gondry and Seth Rogen working together. You would think it'd be crazy. The biggest problem for this movie, which we're going to get way into later, is that a lot of the humor has not aged well and is a little problematic in today's standard. But what do you think overall? Kind of the same. Uh, I watched the movie yesterday and I thought to myself, this is basically why we do this podcast. Because this movie got destroyed in 2011 by critics. Um, I mean, like, overwhelmingly, the reviews are really negative about it. But I also feel like it's influenced by the fact that it came out a year after Kick-Ass. And to me, this movie feels like Kick-Ass's little brother, um, who just doesn't lean as far into the bit. I liked it overall. I do agree that it's a little long, and we'll get into that. I did want to, I guess, talk about the humor aspect of it, um, because I couldn't tell if it was just, like, when I was younger, maybe, like, this didn't register with me, and I'm just more mature now. But this kind of felt like Seth Rogen's area back in, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s. Like, this feels like a very Seth Rogen movie to me. Um, And I don't know if that speaks to him in that time or him as a actor or his you know version of com- comedy or if that's maybe just where comedy movies were back in that time um but i did notice that as well that there were some jokes in here that i kind of cringed at but i also think we took things a little differently so i'm interested to dive into that but christian i do want to tell you a quick story before we get into it about uh, alternate universe versions of this movie all right, fill me in. I see, uh, I saw a long story here you were typing out, so tell me all about this. So this movie has been trying to, they've been trying to make this movie essentially since about 1995. In 97, Universal owned the rights. They actually also were going to have Michelle Gondry direct it in what would have been his directorial debut. It featured a villain who ate human hearts, and at times both Vince Vaughn and Mark Wahlberg were attached to the lead role, so it would have been a wildly different movie. In 2001, Miramar owned the film, and Kevin Smith was attached to write and direct the the movie, with Jake Gyllenhaal cast as the lead. He publicly said, seemingly joking, that he wanted to cast Ben Affleck in both main roles and just use some film editing magic to make him play Kato, but Smith eventually backed out because of some insecurity over directing such an inflated budget. His screenplay, interesting enough, did get made into a comic book miniseries 
series called The Green Hornet, Sins of the Father, which I have not read. Um, and then in the mid-90s, two other people were attached to play Britt Reed in remakes by Universal, which was George Clooney and Eddie Murphy. And then in the original casting of this film that came out, in which Christoph Waltz is the bad guy, Nicolas Cage was originally cast in that role. And he intended on playing the role with a Jamaican accent, which was seemingly against Michel Gondry's wishes. He really did not want that at all. So when I was reading all this, I was just running through my head of all the different versions that we could have gotten of the Green Hornet and how just a batshit crazy they were. They're all completely insane. I'm not even... You, you said so many different possibilities that I can't even quantify which would be the most insane out of all of those i mean throwing i can quantify it for you it's the one where nick cage is the villain with a jamaican accent (laughs) yeah that you're right that is objectively the worst decision i would love to see him go against i don't know vince vaughn and kevin smith Uh, just something real absolutely crazy or having ben affleck play both characters it's just absurd this is crazy I, I have no no words for for how I was feeling when I was reading all these different ones. Um, but I also noted that you have here some interesting notes about Jay Chow, who plays Kato in this movie. Yeah. So again, this is we're definitely going to talk about him quite a bit here once we get to the beauty. But Jay Chow is apparently a fascinating man. He's a Taiwanese singer, songwriter, rapper, record producer, film producer, actor, magician. President of fashion brand Fantac. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He's also a director. He's been dubbed King of Mando Pop. Chu has been recognized as one of the most successful and influential Asian entertainers for his outstanding achievements in the Chinese language music scene. Crazy. I, I, I couldn't believe it. This guy's done everything, apparently. I was reading, like, all the things he's done and was just going through, because I, I was trying to figure out where I knew his face from, and it might just be from, I guess, literally everything. Um, but I was reading through, and I was like, singer, okay, songwriter, okay, rapper, record producer, okay, film producer, all right, actor, uh, all right, magician, like, they put magician, um, he owns a fashion thing, he's like a king, he's dubbed the king of a whole genre of music, he is apparently just the most talented person on the face of the earth, I guess. Crazy, just absolutely ridiculous, but hey, more power to him, I wish I was more familiar with this guy, because... He is, uh, he's clearly awesome. Only other fun fact I have, and this is not really a uh, fun fact about the movie, but this movie notably features latte art, and I'm not sure about you, but this was my first time seeing that done, and I thought it was really cool. I did, I had never seen this, like, done in a film before. I mean, obviously I'm aware of what latte art is at the age of 29. Prior to this, I can imagine when I was 20, if I had seen this film when it came out, like, it would have been, I would have been like, what the hell are they doing? I'm not even sure I was drinking coffee at 20, but that was interesting that they went out of their way to show that he could, is also, by the way, very good at latte art, apparently. Yeah, this, this man can do no wrong, apparently, is what I'm gathering from all of this. No, he's apparently, like I said, the most talented man on the face of the earth. He's literally just as talented in real life as apparently he is in this movie, or Kato is portrayed in this movie, so that was probably the best casting that I've ever seen. Um, but let's dive into the bin here, Christian. Obviously, you have some strong opinions about the character of Britt Reed. I do. So, 
like I said before, my main issue with this movie is the main character. It's Brett Reed. And I want to preface this with two things, and neither of them are really excuses. But first, I'm not familiar with the source material. I haven't seen the original films. I haven't seen the series. I haven't read any of the comic books. Into the World of Green Hornet, this is my only vision of the characters. So if this is dead accurate to how the character is portrayed in the comics of the previous film, then it's being true to source material. So I'm not really, really sure there what the case is. Also, like you said before, we look back on what we were doing in comedy in yesteryears and think, wow, that was not okay. There is a ton of movies. If you go back and watch from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, big famous, well-received movies. They have humor in them. That is not okay. That's kind of what comedy does as we progress as society is we find out maybe some jokes we shouldn't be making. All that being said, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that just does not land land for me. I feel like a lot of the humor feels old, even for 2011. It feels like stuff that people were joking about in the 80s and 90s. And some of it is just kind of not good. For example, one of the things I found really bad, some things were more minor, but something I thought was really not okay was how he is the CEO of the newspaper company, and he is actively and openly hitting on his assistant who is played by Cameron Diaz. That was something, that that was one of the details to me that I thought was kind of bad. (laughs) Definitely not something uh, I feel like we should, you know, be talking about in movies. This is interesting because, like you said, like humor evolves, right? And things that were acceptable at points become not acceptable as time goes on. Like if you, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, if you go back and watch like pretty much any Seth Rogen movie from when he came on the scene with Judd Apatow up until um, that sort of like, I don't, I don't know what you call it, but era kind of like dissipated um, in the mid-2010s. There's a lot of jokes that, you know, are funny, maybe, but, like, just in the year 2020 don't work anymore. I thought it was interesting in this movie because, like you said, like, a lot of stuff that they probably intended to be funny, like, made me cringe a little bit, but a lot of it still made me laugh. Um, I don't think, like, too much of it was terrible um, or as, like, borderline as it could have been. I did feel very uncomfortable watching him like interact with Cameron Diaz because you're supposed to you know this guy's portrayed as an asshole right like he's not I do want to note that he Britt Reed is never portrayed as like a good guy in this movie even at the end he's still really kind of a terrible dude even if you're trying to paint him like a bad dude on the back of like the whole me too movement over the last like three four five years it's real tough to watch this and like make it seem humorous nowadays like it's real tough um i did take note of the fact that like cameron diaz is kind of like a badass in this movie she basically from the moment she walks on the the set on the movie is basically just not dealing with this guy she threatens to quit right away she's constantly putting down or ignoring his advances but even so, I would have liked her to have been a lot more direct about that stuff. I feel like if you're asking the question about whether or not the point was that Britt Reed is terrible and Cameron Diaz is a strong female, if you have to ask the question, it doesn't come across the way you thought it did. Um, so that might have been where they were going, and I kind of got that inclination that that's what they were trying to do. But even so, like it's tough to watch those scenarios play out in front of you knowing 
what we know nowadays and probably, you know, to be honest, what we knew about it then about CEOs and the way they interact with, you know, women that are in their work structure. I have to agree with you 100 percent. And that's probably one of the important things to note about this. Um, I like Seth Rogen a lot. I think he's a funny guy. I've always thought he was a funny guy. So, I mean, this isn't like disparaging on like him in particular, but this is something that happens as we move forward in society. What we think is okay changes. And at the time, I mean, this movie wasn't really positively received, but at the time, humor and jokes like this were more normalized. Things like this were common. So this isn't even like necessarily a knock on specifically a problem with this one movie, but the point that you're making that I completely agree with is that now where we are society we look back on films like this and think oh man that's that wasn't okay i can't i can't believe uh i can't believe that's what we were doing you also noted um kind of references to kato's character in that sort of thing a lot of the stuff that kato did in this movie is because it's actually an homage to bruce lee who played the character in the original movie in the 60s um but if you didn't know that like i did a lot of it comes off as just like making jokes comparing Kato, who is Chinese in the movie. The only thing you would have to draw that line is that they're making a joke about him being Bruce Lee because he's also Chinese. So if you don't know that, which I'm assuming most people didn't, you know, in-depthly research the movie, that also comes off as like really crude and really not okay. Again, like I don't think these things were intentional. I think they were trying to do almost the opposite where... Britt Reed is this awful guy and they're trying to portray like Cameron Diaz sticking up for herself and being stronger than him. Um, and they're also trying to por- portray Cato as like an homage to Bruce Lee, who is, you know, a film icon. But they don't do a good enough job getting that point across. And because of that, it comes off really, really crude at points. I agree. And that's that that's something that, you know, I had actually pointed out and you're correct on. They're paying homage to Bruce Lee, who did play the character. And that's awesome. It doesn't mean there's not a few jokes thrown in there that I don't think are okay. Ironically enough, one of the jokes that Brett makes is saying that he's indie and Kato is short round, which is not cool. (laughs) That's probably the only time that he makes a joke towards Kato where I heard it and went, ooh, man, uh, that's, that's not the best one to make, especially now where even though I love the Indiana Jones films, I think... A lot of people kind of look back on how Short Round was portrayed in Temple of Doom and think, yeah, that was probably not the best thing to have in that movie. So other than that, a lot of other things do work and, you know, we'll get into it. But that was probably the only thing that I noticed towards Kato that I thought was probably not the best joke to make. Yeah, it, and like I said, like a lot of the jokes I feel like don't land as bad as other joke like movies you'd watch in this era, but there are a couple where you're like even like in 2011 that's real tough to like to take. And again, I don't think that's what they were intending with a lot of this stuff, but I also do think that's just kind of, you know, the Seth Rogen genre of comedy back in the day. Like they made a lot of sort of like, you know, vaguely sort of racist jokes and they made a lot of gay jokes and stuff like that. And it's like Seth Rogen is a really good guy from like everything I've ever seen. I like Seth Rogen as a lot as a person, uh, but I just think that's where comedy was. And when you watch this movie nowadays, it's a little tougher to take. Um, but heavy stuff aside, I would probably say the the only other thing that I have to really complain about in this movie is the is the pacing. 
Um, this movie is way too long. It actually starts off really quickly. Like, you get from Seth Rogen's character kind of being, like, a 30-year-old playboy who just parties to a superhero in, like, 40 minutes. And then from, like, 40 minutes to sort of the action sequence at the end, it really, really starts to drag out sometimes. That's another thing that I put down, to that, like you're saying, from the movie actually starts to them becoming the Green Hornet and his sidekick and his partner, however they call him in that in the movie, it takes maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Like, it is breakneck speed how fast they get them up to date. And then after that, there's about another hour and 40 minutes of film where you pretty much just go, all right, well, uh, <laughs> we're just gonna mess around for a lot of this movie because it ends pretty quickly, too. So you pretty much have a solid hour there, which could easily been trimmed up. I think this movie would have been fine at 90 minutes and probably would have been better in my opinion. Yeah, like I talked about in the last podcast, I feel like 90 minutes to like 95 minutes for like an action movie like this is like kind of perfect. Um, but I did the Jason Manzukis help Van Helsing from Head of This Game made two hours when I, when I saw the runtime on this movie and was like, there's going to be a part of this movie where I'm just like dragging in my seat. Like if you could have cut like 15 to 20 minutes of this movie out, that would have been great. Or even just repurposed that 15 to 20 minutes to like character progression. Because I don't know, besides like the fight that he has with Kato, what Britt Reed does in this movie that is supposed to redeem him towards the end. And maybe nothing. Like like similar to you, I don't have like a ton of backstory about like the Green Hornet. Um, I didn't go back and like read all or listen to all like the radio shows from back in the 30s. But, you know, maybe he's supposed to stay like that. Maybe he's not supposed to character evolve. But I feel like you could have done a lot more with those 20 minutes than they did. I have to agree on all of that. That was pretty much my exact complaint about it all about it all. So he's not really redeemed throughout the movie. And, you know, we'll talk about that more here in a second. But, you know, that is kind of one of the issues. And like you said, another one of the issues is that how does anyone learn anything in this movie? You know, Kato has this cool power in their beginning where he can apparently slow down time. And then at the end of the movie, Brett can just do that now? How, when did he learn that? How did he learn that? When does Brett learn anything in this movie? Brett goes from, like, waking up and complaining about his coffee not being correct to fighting crime in, what, 24 to 48 hours? And at no point do they show him, like, training to learn to fight or anything like that and it's implied like Kato carries him through the fights and everything but then like Kato and him have a physical altercation and he holds up his own at the end walks away from Kato who is drowning in a pool first off Kato doesn't know how to swim that is the biggest plot hole of all time the man repairs cars built a goddamn coffee machine in a closet like is superhuman is faster than a camera, beats up 18 people at once, man doesn't know how to swim. Doesn't seem believable. But also, like, Britt Reed walks away from that fight and is fine. How do you fight Kato and walk away? You have no training. I don't... Just how he assumes that role is the biggest plot gripe I have in this whole movie. I did karate years ago, but I've never been kicked in the chest by a professional martial artist. But... I am pretty sure that if someone kicked me in the chest and I flew 10 feet back, 
I'd probably have a couple broken ribs or be in a lot of pain or maybe out for a couple days. I don't know. Seth Rogen just gets up after it. It is an action film, right? Like, you sort of, like, suspend your disbelief with some of this stuff, but everything else kind of plays, like, very realistic, and then all of a sudden he's able to hold up. It just doesn't... It doesn't track for me at all. I agree. That's that's definitely the important distinction to make. Because if you saw that in Fast and Furious or a Marvel movie, it's kind of, the the world is established that it's wild and zany. But like you're saying, if this character is characterized as being a complete buffoon who can barely hit a guy in the beginning of the movie, then you're kind of breaking your internal logic. Yeah. No. It it doesn't it doesn't track for me. But that's actually all that I had for the bin, which is surprising because we only noted like two or three things, but we've been doing this section for like 15 minutes um, because of that that very important first topic. Um, but do you have anything else you wanted to cover here? No, like you said, um, that's pretty much all I had for the negatives, and I'm ready to jump right into the beauty. All right. Christian, Jay Chow is excellent at this movie. He's incredible. He's easily the highlight of this film for me, even when I was watching it before I saw your notes of him being this impossibly talented person. He was charming. He was sincere he was really likable he just came off as a really nice person and he was good at everything just watching him make the coffee watching him work on vehicles watching him do all these karate moves throughout the entire movie you're supposed to believe that he's this extremely competent person and he sells it just perfectly i wrote down jay chow might be the most multi-talented person i've ever seen in my whole life the fact that he goes from basically being a mechanic to building this like james bond era car to being able to build that machine to fighting people to being like quote faster than a camera which is another bruce lee uh homage he does it all and he does it really smoothly like nothing looks out of place he doesn't look bad doing anything he's just very easily able to do all of these sorts of things and maybe that comes naturally when you're the most talented person on earth apparently but he does such a good job portraying all the facets of that character that i was kind of blown away and also christoph waltz is in this movie and i just love christoph waltz um he's so good at playing this like strange character that borders on like super intense but also comical to me the biggest shame of like the daniel craig era bond movies is that his character inspector didn't work out but i was so so delighted every time he was on screen me too christoph waltz is consistently a treat for me he is always a powerhouse of an actor because he is so good at playing a charming villain if somehow anyone hasn't seen Inglorious Bastards, go watch that movie, if only for his performance, because it's just phenomenal. He is so good at being likable while also delivering the most evil line. I'm pretty sure that Christoph Waltz could come to me and say something like, Well, um, if you don't help me out here, I guess I'm just going to have to drown your cat. And I would say, You know, Christoph... I'm going to help you out because he's just got that voice. And if anyone's listening to this and hasn't watched *Inglorious Bastards, just go watch because it's a great movie. But also too, like his character in Django Unchained, where he's playing this like really sort of intense, righteous person, but also is like hilarious the whole time and has this long hair and strange beard. But at no point are you like off put by his character. He's, his character is almost like, I don't know if sweet's the right word, but you're, you're definitely, like, 
really rooting for this guy the whole time. He has just this like great ability to do all these sorts of things like so seamlessly. Um, and I know he's kind of been like, I don't know if you know this, but he's been like kind of criticized recently because some of his stuff like just feels very similar all the time. Like he doesn't have like a huge range, I guess. Like he's very kind of focused on what he does well. But he does it so well, I don't care. You can put him in these movies all the time for me, and I would love every single second of it. I agree, and I th- that that's always a criticism I don't necessarily think holds up, because, I mean, look at Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen plays the same character in any movie. Look at Jesse Eisenberg, look at Brad Pitt, look at George Clooney. I mean, look at any major actor in Hollywood. You eventually get typecasted into playing a certain type of character. That's just how the business works. So, I mean, like I never really thought too much of that. But talking to some other characters' performances that I also think were good, Cameron Diaz, she's great. I love seeing her in anything. I don't think she's in nearly enough stuff because she walked on screen and I thought, that's Cameron Diaz. Oh my God, it's been a while since I've seen her in a good movie. David Harbour, also excellent. He's looking very young here, which uh, is, you know, I always know David Harbour as Hopper. But seeing him here... Man, it was awesome. I love seeing an early guy like that kind of do his stuff. And I generally think that despite some of the humor choices, I think that Seth Rogen plays the awful, zero accountability, mess up, disappointing son character pretty well. Yeah, I thought the acting and cast in this movie was probably the best we've watched so far out of actually like the bad movies we've watched in this film, this podcast. Like you did. I wrote down in all caps, David Harbour is so young and tiny. Because I'm not used to seeing him being thin and, and baby-faced. But he was very good. Cameron Diaz is a force in this movie. Every supporting actor plays their role perfectly. Um, along those lines, Christian, uh, real quick, I do have that, that guy roster for you awesome. real fast. Um, it's rather short, so it won't take that long. Um, both of the main sidekicks for Christoph Waltz in this movie, Jamie Harris, who plays Popeye, the white guy. Um, he plays a minor role in the prestige that I recognized him from. So minor, actually, that I he doesn't have a name in the prestige. Um, his character is not named. The prestige is probably my favorite movie of all time, so I recognized him from there. And then Chili, who is the uh, African-American partner with Christoph Waltz, is played by Chad Coleman, who is Tyrese from The Walking Dead. Now, when he plays Tyrese, I'm assuming he put on close to 30 pounds of muscle because he's huge in that role and he's not as big in this role. Um, But those were the two main that guys. And then there is a third one, um, and it's fairly obvious, but it's James Franco. James Franco is not credited in this movie, and he went on a four-minute monologue to open the movie that was wild. So I felt he needed to be an honorable mention into the that guy roster. When I saw James Franco, I thought, man, James Franco has aged quite a bit in the past 10 years. But also, I love seeing James Franco. I've always thought he was kind of a fun person. So seeing him here... It, it was definitely a treat, and I definitely noticed um, the guy from The Walking Dead immediately. And some other things that I definitely want to mention here while we're still in the beauty is that the gadgets in this movie are really, really cool. The car is awesome. I love seeing it drive around. It's a really, really cool-looking vehicle. His uh, knockout gas gun, that's pretty cool. And notably, Christoph Waltz double gun. I'm sorry, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm never going to not think that is cool. Yeah, I actually, I have a small list I want to go over because at one point I started doing a running list with a question mark at the end of the things that I thought were really cool in this movie. Um, So I wrote double-barreled gun, car printer, 
beadbag shooter, car flamethrower, gas gun, door gun. If you remember, he opens the door at one point and there's guns on the side. Hood machine guns and car missiles are all prominently featured in this film. And none of them look terrible either. Like, a lot of the times you see movies do stuff like that where they, you know, put all these, like, gimmicky sort of gadgets in and they look bad or they, you know, are obviously, like, not as effective as they should be. I thought all these were, like, pretty true to how I thought they would work and pretty realistic looking. Yeah, I thought they all looked really, really good too. And even some of the stuff later in the movie too, like this is kind of silly, but I thought this looked cool when they take the car and crash it into the news building and then the back half of it is ripped off and it turns out that the car, I mean, this isn't how cars work as far as I know, but since the car is front wheel drive, they proceed to drive it through the entire office. It looked really cool. 0% knowledge of whether or not that would actually work. My gut tells me no, but I could be wrong. But at least it looked really cool on film. Yeah, I wrote down that's not how cars work yeah, when yeah. I started doing that. Uh, but there, there is a lot of stuff in this movie, like effects-wise, that looks pretty good. There are a couple parts that are like kind of tough. We we talked about this with the last movie, but like this is post Avatar, so like you start to lose excuses at some point. But like um, the particular one to me was that the CGI where Kato was supposed to be quote faster than the camera. Um, did not look good, um, especially in a couple of the fight scenes. But besides that, I thought pretty much the effects held up really well, considering the, the budget's not like, uh, you know, it's 120 something, but it's not like abnormally large for what we would expect it to be. So I think they did a good job on that. Yeah, I think so too. I think it looked pretty fine overall. Um, that's all I have for the beauty, Connor, if you're ready to uh, make a few transactional purchases here. I am. I am ready to get into the cell, Christian, but I did want to bring up one thing. I wanted to bring up the soundtrack, which we talk about a little bit on this podcast. Um, I thought it was very good. Um, and I wanted it to be noted that Michelle Gondry started off as a music video producer. Um, so he was in that kind of class with like Spike Jones and David Fincher, who kind of moved from like the MTV era into making movies. Um, and I thought the soundtrack here was very good. Um, they included some pretty classical rock songs that I thought fit right in at the part where like Britt Reed is storming around the, uh, the grass at his house in the very early part that like the music is like comically over loud and over dramatic. Um, I thought he did a really good job kind of tying all that in and not making it seem like, you know, overbearing or anything like that while using some like really, really cool songs in the background. Nice, yeah. That's actually not even something that I uh, wrote down or actually even paid much attention to, but that's really cool that you notice it, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, the best soundtracks are the ones you don't notice unless you're listening for them, so great job to Michelle Garner on that. Uh, but yeah, Christian, let's, let's get into transactions. Why should people be watching this movie? So initially, the first thing I wrote down here was that it's kind of a hard sell, and I think that's a little true because there are, like we said before, a couple jokes in here that don't really work. But I think if you take those things out of this movie, I think it's actually a pretty good movie. It's got a solid cast. It's generally pretty enjoyable. It's a little long, sure. But it's fun. It's got a lot of cool stuff. Kato enough is worth watching this movie. So I think, and I really do think that is if, if you can get past those jokes and kind of just understand that, yes, those jokes are not good, they're of a different time, and it's not, you know, it doesn't make it any better. But if you look past all that, 
then I think there's actually a pretty good movie here. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I I was pleasantly surprised at this film, actually. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, to me, this movie, and I mentioned earlier, is Kick-Ass Light. It's the knockoff little brother of a very good movie that has its flaws, but it's still enjoyable. It's like when you, when you go out to enjoy an adult beverage and you order a Bud Light. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's not bad, right? It's enjoyable. It's got its back, you know, it's got its flaws. But you enjoy it nonetheless. I thought the acting was probably the best, like I said, out of the movies we've ever watched. The effects were pretty good. You know, it's an obscure IP. This is another movie, too, where I want people to go back and watch this and then watch Spider-Man Far From Home and tell me you still have superhero fatigue. It's an obscure IP that's not been done to death, so I thought that was fun to explore. Just, it's fun. It's too long. But it's fun. Like you do, like you said, you do have to look past that humor a little bit. Uh, but besides that, I liked this movie a lot. I, I had very similar thoughts about it. And I think that, you know, just based on premise alone, I think this is a fun movie. For me, the idea of this Green Hornet character is kind of, what if Batman, instead of his parents dying and having all this responsibility thrown on him, what if he was just a freeloader his entire life and then decided to become a superhero at 30 with doing absolutely no training? And that's a pretty interesting idea to me, just right there. So I thought the idea of his character was pretty good. And I also think that it's a pretty cool and unique thing to see where you have the main characters are really tiptoeing this line between being good people and bad people. It's not really something I've seen done too much recently. So I thought that was another fun thing of their motives are never exactly clear the entire movie. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And again, like, I don't know if that's, you know, how the Green Hornet is portrayed, right? Like, I'm just going off the movie. Like we said, we've never really taken in the the IP. But superheroes and superhero movies and all this stuff have plenty of, like, anti-heroes, right? Like, the first one came to mind to me is, like, the Punisher. That's my favorite sort of, like, anti-hero. But he's just kind of... The Punisher is kind of just a badass and just, you know, he's just out for himself and, you know, whoever gets in his way is going to die, doesn't care if it's good or bad. Generally, you know, decent motives, but terrible way of going about it. Like, it's kind of like written out. We kind of know what what an anti-hero is, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin of the WWE. Like, that's all been very played out. This is not a badass. This is just a, a bad guy. This is just a guy who's selfish, who's a freeloader. And has, like, I don't know, like, one or two underlying, like, good moral things in him that, like, he just kind of fleshes out and becomes this sort of, like, anti-hero's not even the word for it, like, bad, good guy doing bad things or bad guy doing good things. It's all very obscure. Um, I don't really understand how, how it would have worked um, or their rationale behind it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. But it is a very interesting concept that no one else has really done. And I kind of wish this movie had been better received because I think, you know, for all of its flaws, like a sequel kind of playing off this could have been interesting. It definitely could have been interesting. And it's, you know, it's a shame that we didn't get any more content made after this uh for that reason i mean the movie kind of ends on a little bit of a quick of a cliffhanger also and i know there's been talks about reviving the franchise i don't know if that's with seth rogan or without him but i'd probably be more open to exploring this world and i think actually that even if seth rogan was to return to this project I think that he's been one of those people that's been pretty up with the times and open to changing his fo- his formula for comedy and making changes in his own work. 
So I think that if he were to come back and make this property again, I think it'd probably be pretty good. Some other things that I think are pretty cool about this movie and definitely worth noting are this character was first created in the 30s. This this is a character that's been around forever. And yes, Superman's been around, I think, just about as long. So there's other characters that are popular that have been around that long. But it's still cool seeing someone who is, as far as I know, never really received the proper recognition that finally has like a really, really big budget movie. Having someone as a character that's had TV shows made about him in the 60s and 70s, had movies made about him, started out doing radio plays in the 30s, is getting a major motion picture film. All that stuff is really, really cool to me. And there's some stuff in this movie that actually really reminds me of that. In terms of genre, this isn't really a superhero as much as, like you said in the beginning, it's kind of a vigilante, gangster, kind of modern caper slash crime movies what i took from it just with some more super ish elements thrown in and that's not something that i really see done anymore so i thought those things were also pretty cool and definitely worth watching based on those yeah i mean and you mentioned like the you know the green hornet doesn't really have like a wide release or anything like that um i think that's because it's a series that really isn't owned by you know Marvel or DC, for, you know, it doesn't really have like a overarching owner. I think the last person to own the rights, and they might still own it, was Dynamite Entertainment, who works with Kevin Smith. You know, I think that this is something where, like, if someone else had bought this, maybe we see this to a bigger, you know, a bigger audience and this and that. You know, they were in talks of making a sequel to this movie, uh, but. I, I did just think that this movie wasn't well received enough for them to invest like the budget into it. But yeah, I mean, I would like to see kind of this drawn out more and maybe you can do this movie less comically. Uh, not that I didn't enjoy the comedy in it, you know, the comedy aspect of a film like this, but I think that if you do this as like a straight line movie, you can almost do this like sort of how we talked on this podcast before about how they're doing the Batman, you know, the upcoming Batman movie with Robert Pattinson where it's more like a noir detective movie. Like, you can make this where this guy is just not a good guy um, and make it very serious. I think that would be very entertaining to watch. Or you could make another one of this where it's very goofy and this guy's kind of like, almost like a better version, I guess, of Hancock with Will Smith where it's very, you know, kooky in the beginning and then takes like a more serious turn if you do a better version of that. But I think this is an IP where you could probably get a lot of run out of this if it's done correctly i think an audience you know that's used to seeing like very by the book superhero stuff and you you know would be interested in seeing this like you were saying like more grounded vigilante sort of storyline i definitely think so too and i actually like what you said about taking out some of the comedy elements and having it more straight laced and to the point i think that's something that could definitely benefit this moving is just getting right into it, really establishing who this character is, that Brett Reed is a bad dude, he's not a good dude by any means, doubling down on that fact, and just having a redemption story. People, audiences love redemption stories. I mean, I'm personally a big fan. You throw a redemption story into a movie or TV show and I'm game for it. So you have that play out over maybe one movie or maybe you do the you go the Netflix show route or whatever it is. I think that... There's definitely more here. I think there's definitely things to work with. And I even think that as far as specifically this movie goes, I think if you just make a couple cuts here, you take out maybe 20 minutes of just kind of wasted screen time here. 
I think you probably have a really good movie, actually. Yeah, I think this is kind of a wasted potential thing where, like, I thought this movie was good, right? But I think this movie could be a lot better. I think this IP could be a lot better. Um, And it's disappointing that we're not going to get, probably not going to get, unless, you know, MGM, again, call us. We've got ideas. You know where to find us now at Bad Movie Journal on Twitter. Um, But I think that, you know, I think this is something where if someone really invested, like, time to make this, like, you know, into this quote-unquote golden age of superheroes or, like we were saying, like, the Batman sort of thing, like, I think you could do a lot of different things with this movie now that we're a more, I don't know if, like, like, cutting edge is the right word or whatever it is, but, you know, with the current, you know, climate the way it is, like you were saying, like, you could go on Netflix and really expand this or you could really get into, like, you know, cutting edge cinema. I think you could do a lot with this. And I think that the fact that we haven't based on what I saw out of this movie is definitely wasted potential. I, you know, so like, so like I said before, a lot of my negatives probably come from not being familiar at all with the source material. I think out of everything we've done, this is by far the least familiar I am with, uh, an established character's background story. Um, so maybe he's exactly like this in the movie and books. And this is like a dead on portrayal. And funnily enough, I actually used to know someone that was a really, really big fan of this character and was actually like one of their favorite movies and probably their favorite comic book hero character. So like there is audiences for this stuff. So you know what? Let's make green Hornet too. Let's, let's campaign for it. I'm in for it. I'm here. I'm here for it. You can call us at any time, MGM. You know what? If MGM doesn't call us within two weeks, I'm going to start marketing these ideas around. I'm going to call Columbia. I'm going to call 21st Century. I think 21st Century is just Disney now, so I'm definitely going to call Disney. But either way, Christian, I know you have an interesting final question you wanted to dive into here, right? I do. So this is something, actually, I know normally we have to make some sort of choice, and we might have different answers. But I thought it'd be good if we have like more of a collaboration question, if you will. So this week's question is, if we were, you and I, Connor, a superhero duo, what would our names be? And what would be our vehicle of choice? So I am not the most creative person in the world. So when I saw this, I was racking my brain real hard. I think to me, the most obvious thing, though, is that our name has to be something like the sad boys. Like, we really have to lean into the fact that we are something along the lines of emo or sad or something like that has to be in there. Bad, you know, bad boys, like you mentioned, something like that. Like, those personas really have to come to life for me. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I think in terms of vehicle, I think the only thing very fitting for us is, like, I think we've got to go the opposite way of most people. Like, you see a lot of people like, you know, James Bond has really nice cars. The Batmobile is this really souped-up thing. Um, Wonder Woman flies around on, like, an invisible spaceship or plane, I believe. Something along those lines. I think we just take something like a 1999 Mazda 3, something real terrible, and just soup it up so it runs really well. That car's already indestructible as it is. So I think that's the way you gotta go. You gotta go with something really unassuming because, you know, I'll be honest with you, if you ran into me in the street, you wouldn't assume I could beat up a super villain anyway. Ooh, man, you know, this is a great idea, and I love what you're saying about the car because that's exactly what we should do. We need, potentially, the worst car ever. So, fun fact, my first car was a 1999 Nissan Sentra, and it was just 
not the greatest car ever. There were a million problems because when I got it, the car was already over 20 years old. So that's what we need. We need a car about that level. And if we're rolling with this uh, sad boys thing, I'm going to suggest then we just dress like a very prototypical 2010 scene kid. You know, we both start, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like start flat ironing our hair again, put on those skin tight. What do you mean start flat ironing <laughs> yeah. our hair, Christian? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I'm saying like I'm not sitting four feet away from a flat iron right now. <laughs> that idea would take me like no time to get back into, too. I probably have like banties and storage. I could probably go to Hot Topic and find it, you know, when there's not a global pandemic, find like a chain wallet. I definitely still have enough vans to wear. This, this is probably the most convenient choice that we could do. And I mean, could you imagine if like... I used to drive a 97 Honda Civic. So imagine you're a villain, right? Imagine you're just like a low-level thug. You're robbing a 7-Eleven or something. And this car pulls up and it's this like sputtering 97 Civic. It's jumping every time it tries to change gears. The brakes squeak, right? And then two scene kids get out. And they have the hair and the clothes and, you know, dressed in all black. Maybe one of us is wearing eyeliner. And then imagine those two kids just beat you to hell and drag you to jail. This would be about as viral as something could go. Okay, you know, I think... I think we might need to change up what we're doing here, Connor, because I, th- I think we're on to something. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're completely right. You know... Villains are expecting someone to show up in a nice car or at least someone to look physically imposing in any way. And you and I are both pretty in shape people. But I mean, if we just showed up looking like we were about to go to Warp Tour, no one would take us seriously. And that's the perfect excuse. This is actually like a really good idea. I don't know if anyone's ever done this before. And like, you know, I'm sure there's like stories of like really nonchalant looking people being like superheroes and stuff like that. But that would be so funny to me if someone made a whole like movie or series or comic book arc or something about like some emo 16 year old scene kid who like somehow just gets powers and then is like trying to figure out as he's like being a real like teenager you know because teenagers are awful human beings like trying to figure out how to use his powers sort of like what was that movie shazam like sort of like an emo version of shazam i would love to see that i would absolutely love to see this kid like go to like a punk rock show and get in the pit and like mess people up really terribly because he doesn't understand he has superhuman strength and it's just knocking people around the venue i have so many ideas for this I have to I have to stop talking. We're going to be here all night if I keep yeah, going. Yeah, well, we're going to be here for another hour if we continue talking about emo Shazam, but I am so here for it. I'm already writing the uh, the the script. Don't worry, guys. I'll have this out to Disney. You've got my number. I'll have it out to you within the week. Well, Connor, I think that is about it. If you have anything else to uh, mention here before we get going. No, that should be it. I should stop talking about my emo superhero idea. Um, do give us a follow at Bad Movie Journal. Let us know that these, you know, mythical viewers or listeners in this case are out there. We're interested in interacting and seeing what type of people have chosen to take in our free content. Uh, but Christian, that's all that I had, my friend. That is it, Connor. How about you uh, tell me to... Now, what is that expression you're always saying when we... 
and these podcasts. I just I might need you to say it one time. I'm not too sure. Similar, Christian, to a Coors Light. This is we're not sponsored by Coors Light, but similar to a Coors Light, you've pulled out of the fridge and you're about to crack open on a hot August day. You stay frosty, my friend. Stay frosty, Connor.